0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to The Psychology PhD, a podcast developed by grad students here in the Columbia University Psychology Department, where we discuss psych-focused graduate programs. Once again, I'm Monica Tew, a fifth-year student here in our program. This season, we're discussing the process of applying to PhD programs in experimental psychology. So far, over the course of the first four episodes, We've provided an introduction to graduate programs in psychology, discussed how to get organized for PhD program applications, covered the purpose and structure of CVs and resumes, and provided an overview of research experience in our field, including how to request letters of recommendation from your research supervisors. If you're just jumping in here, we do recommend that you check out those previous episodes. They are linked in the show notes for easy access. Now, let's turn our attention to the focus of today's episode, how to develop your statement of purpose for applications to PhD programs in experimental psychology. We've mentioned the statement of purpose, also sometimes called a personal statement, a few times in prior episodes. For instance, in episode three, we noted that although your research experience will be listed on your CV, that you'll cover that experience in much greater detail within your statement of purpose. And additionally, in episode four, we highlighted that you might want to attach a draft of your statement of purpose when you're requesting recommendation letters. But you might be wondering, what exactly is a statement of purpose and how should I develop mine? If you've been asking yourself these kinds of questions, we've got you covered here. In this episode, we'll discuss the following topics. The purpose of a statement of purpose, I know, no pun intended, The typical structure of such a statement, how to develop a cohesive narrative that ties together all of the content in your statement, and finally, some important notes and common misconceptions about your statement. And as always, before we dive in, it's worth noting that this content applies specifically to statements that you're developing for applying to PhD programs here in the United States, as customs may differ in other countries. So, without further ado, Let's begin with the purpose of your statement of purpose. More than anywhere else within your application, this statement will allow you to tell your unique professional story to readers who will consider you for admission to their doctoral programs. While your CV will provide programs with a bare bones outline of your academic and professional experience, the purpose of your statement of purpose is to fill in these gaps and communicate your objectives for pursuing graduate studies and offer a rich illustration of the experiences that have prepared you for such a program. Your statement should showcase the big idea that you're most interested in studying in your PhD, your background and your motivation, and your future goals as a PhD student and beyond. So how might you fit all of this content into a single statement? Next, we'll turn our attention to the structure of a typical statement of purpose. In this section, we'll first talk about the length of your statement, that is, how much space you'll have to write within, and then we'll cover how applicants tend to divide up that space to cover different topics. In terms of length, most programs will provide you with some kind of a limit. This might be a word limit, for example, a maximum of 1,000 or 2,000 words, or a page limit, for example, one or two single-space pages in a particular typeface and font size, like 12-point Times New Roman. If your program of interest provides you with these kinds of guidelines, it is very important that you stick to them. This is not a good time to run over by a word or a sentence and hope that no one is going to notice. And furthermore, if a program does not provide you with a limit, I'd still recommend keeping your statement of purpose to no more than two single spaced pages, as this is a customary maximum length for such a statement here in the US. Within these space limitations, here's what the typical structure looks like. The first paragraph tends to be a brief introduction consisting of a few items. First, your introduction paragraph should establish the big idea or core research question that you're interested in studying as a PhD student, often through a brief quote or anecdote. We'll discuss the specifics of this big idea in a few minutes when we turn our attention to your narrative. Second, This first paragraph might highlight in one or two sentences how you've begun to investigate this big idea through your past or current research experiences. And third, the paragraph should conclude with a single sentence outlining that you hope to pursue graduate studies under the supervision of the PI at the program to which you're applying in order to further investigate some intersection of your own big idea with your PI's research interests. After this introductory paragraph, The next two thirds or so of your statement should cover your past and current research experiences with the goal of communicating how these experiences have prepared you for graduate study. In this section, applicants typically dedicate one paragraph to each research experience. This might mean one paragraph per lab if you've worked in two to three labs or one paragraph per research project if you've participated in multiple projects within the same lab. In each of these paragraphs, you'll introduce the experience, clearly define your specific contribution, highlight the results or the expected results if you haven't finished data collection yet, and finally, you'll describe what you learned. We'll discuss how to craft these past experience paragraphs in more detail, again, in just a few minutes when we cover your narrative. The final third-ish of your statement should cover your future goals as a PhD student and scholar typically within one or two paragraphs. In this section, applicants often mention their long-term career aspirations and note how a research-focused program like the one they're applying to will prepare them for such a career. Then, most students reiterate specifically what they hope to study as a PhD student under the supervision of the PI that they're applying to work with. Sometimes, you might write a line or two about how the program is a great fit for you in particular, especially if there's something very unique about the program's faculty or resources that makes it a great fit for your research interests. Say, if they have special facilities or equipment that are needed to investigate your particular research question, or if a certain faculty member has special expertise in the method or statistical approach that you hope to use. Finally, most statements of purpose end with a very brief one or two sentence conclusion paragraph, reiterating your enthusiasm for the program and its fit given your interests, as well as your confidence in your level of preparation to embark upon such a program of study. This paragraph often ends with a sentence thanking the department for their consideration. So to summarize the overall structure of your statement of purpose once more, between your introductory paragraph and your short concluding paragraph, about two thirds of your content will focus on your past and current research experiences, and about one third of your content feature your future goals as a PhD student and scholar. Nailing down the general structure of your statement is only half the battle. Although the admissions committee wants to hear about your research experiences and qualifications, they also want to hear your authentic voice. The best way to achieve this is by framing your statement with a narrative. It's important that your statement of purpose has a narrative, or a common thread going through it, because a narrative will provide the reader with a clearer, more cohesive picture of your research journey. Said another way, a narrative for your statement of purpose can be thought of like the chassis for a car or its body. A vehicle has many, many parts, and then only the wheels touch the ground, so it needs the chassis to serve as a strong foundation for all the car parts to rest on so that the car can run. Likewise, the foundation of your statement of purpose will be your narrative. Like most narrative essays, your statement of purpose will most likely be chronological and reflect a single theme or general idea. Of course, a statement does not have to be organized chronologically, but we do recommend this because it will make your statement easier to follow. What's even more important is to establish an overall idea that conveys the big question that you're interested in. Essentially. This big question, or overarching theme, is the core idea that drives your specific research question. One way to come up with this big idea is to think about the why behind your current research interests. For example, if I'm interested in psychology in general, it's worth asking myself what about psychology research in particular might be driving my interest. Or instead of just saying that I For example, if I'm interested in the behavior of people in social situations, I can develop that big idea one step further and ask, how do people understand other people? Or, how do people reason about the emotions and thoughts of others and themselves? In this quick example, we have successfully identified a candidate general core research question that might drive an interest in psychology. In this case, Not only have I clarified what I am interested in, for example, the psychology of behavior in social situations, but also the why behind those interests, how humans understand other people. A core question like that can then be transformed into a narrative that you can then build upon through the statement of purpose. Also note that the big idea should be broad enough to expand upon through your research experiences over the course of your statement but also specific enough to convey that you're interested in a particular psychological research question, not just psychology in general. For most statements of purpose, this big idea is first established in the introductory paragraph to convey how you became interested in your current specific research question. People will often present this big idea using specific, vivid imagery of a moment in their life that inspired the idea. There are a few ways that you could accomplish this. You could talk about a particular class you took that gave rise to your big idea, relate your general interests to media, like a book or a movie, bring up a known quote that you deem relevant to your research interests, or even describe a recent personal experience that sparked your interest in psychological research. I should emphasize that sometimes, here it is the small things that are important. You don't have to compose a deep, heart-wrenching antidote for the beginning of your statement. Even if you don't consider a particular experience a big deal, if it does relate to your research interests, you can consider using it as a springboard to introduce your big idea. Once you've established your core research idea, it's time to start framing your research experiences with that idea. In other words, it's time to start building the narrative. For the body section of your statement of purpose, It's a good idea to use the big idea that you introduced at the beginning of your statement as a launch point for each research experience that you describe. For example, the beginning of your first body paragraph can briefly describe how your big idea led you to seek out a research experience in a particular lab, or influenced how you thought about a particular study that you were involved in. For instance, I might open my first body paragraph by saying, In order to investigate how people draw conclusions about the mental states of others, I applied to XYZ Lab to work as a research assistant. After describing each research experience, you should reflect upon how it has informed your current research interests. Specifically, there should be a clear transition between what you did in the past research experience and what you wanted to do next in the next step of your research journey. Make sure each transition feels purposeful and motivated by your own curiosity. And by the end of the statement, you should transition from the last research experience that you share to the research direction you'd like to pursue in graduate school. Now that we've laid out some general guidelines for establishing your big idea, we'll go over some important points that will help you maintain a cohesive narrative for your statement of purpose. In addition to establishing your voice, Building a narrative for your statement of purpose allows you to accomplish what might be the most important part of your application package, showing the admissions committee how you think about science. Prospective PhD advisors and admission committees at large are primarily concerned with whether you can demonstrate critical thinking and creativity. Even if you have tons of research experience, it's more important that you show your reader how you've engaged intellectually with those experiences. You shouldn't just describe a study that you participated in, but also what you did and what you found. In addition to those things, you should strive to touch on the following. First, be sure to touch on the psychological theories that underlie the study you're describing. Next, touch on the gap in research that the study aims to address. In other words, why the research question is important. Next, describe why you did what you did to contribute to the study, And finally, mention the implications of your research findings. If there was a problem that came up in the study that you solved, you can talk about troubleshooting you did, what you learned while solving the problem, or what you would change for a future study. And likewise, you should leave space at the end of describing each research experience to reflect on how the study you worked on has further informed your understanding of the research topic. You can do this by proposing some lingering research questions that might have come up because of your experience. You can also discuss the conclusions that you reached based on the findings that you acquired. Or you can also communicate how the study's findings have further molded the big idea that you first introduced at the beginning of your statement of purpose. It's great if these lingering questions that you pose can segue nicely to the questions that you pursued in the next step of your research journey. If you choose to include some lingering questions, It's okay if they're not super closely related to what you would specifically like to explore in graduate school. This is simply another way to illustrate how you're thinking about science to your reader. Above all, you should demonstrate some sort of intellectual grappling with the questions that you've come across over the course of your research experiences. After all, your reader wants to see you think like a scientist. If you're describing a study that's currently in progress, You should clearly describe the hypotheses for the study in lieu of presenting results. This is a two-step process. First, you'll need to describe the behavior and or results that you currently expect for the study. And second, you should describe what such a possible finding would suggest. And the second point should complement your previous description of why the research question is important. So now, a word about when you describe the skills that you've gained from your research experiences. You should avoid, under all circumstances, merely rephrasing what can already be found on your CV. Any and all skills that you've gained from your experiences should always be placed in the context of the study itself. For example, instead of stating that you have experience completing fMRI pattern analyses, you might say that you conducted fMRI pattern analyses in order to examine whether memory retrieval causes greater differentiation among highly similar neural representations. You should be sure to explain how each skill that you mention acquiring contributed to the research study in question. A failure to place such a research skill in context might cause your reader to wonder whether you've adequately understood the study's purpose. Or worse, it might cause your reader to wonder if you have actively engaged with the study or if you merely completed tasks that your immediate supervisor assigned to you. The takeaway here then is to show, not tell. So one last big piece of advice as you're drafting your statement of purpose. As a prospective PhD student and trainee, your first inclination may be to frame what you'd like to do in graduate school through the lens of what you specifically are interested in. That makes total sense. However, research necessitates a transformation of your own interests into larger problems that people in your field also want to solve. Put differently, research is an activity that is all about shedding light on a particular academic enigma that isn't quite clear yet and attempting to explain it through systematic investigation. That's why it's particularly important, as you go through your statement of purpose, to extract and highlight the broader academic enigma that underlies your core research question. For example, what is an observation, whether from a previous study or from your daily life, that doesn't seem to be understood by the field? What are some observations that already exist that can be explained by multiple conflicting hypotheses? These are questions that might help you think critically about the research enigma that you'd like to solve in graduate school. So I do want to give some credit that the idea of research as an enigma or a puzzle comes from Sam Gershman's lab at Harvard University. If you're interested in learning more about how to identify the sorts of academic puzzles you'd like to pursue in graduate school, we've linked their original set of slides in the show notes below. Now that we've gone over how to build your very own narrative for a statement of purpose, we'll share some important notes about the process of drafting your statement, and then dive right into some key misconceptions and pitfalls you should avoid. First, it tends to take quite some time to develop a strong statement of purpose—in most cases, weeks or even months. For this reason, I recommend that you start really early ideally in the spring or early summer, before the fall in which you plan to apply. As a reminder, as I mentioned in episode four on research experience and recommendation letters, it's best to provide a full draft of your statement of purpose to your recommenders when you ask them for letters. And given that you'll be sending these letter requests no less than six weeks before the application deadline, you'll want to create a timeline for yourself to make sure that you have a draft ready by then. Further. It can be daunting to feel like you need to produce a perfect statement in the first draft all by yourself. In reality though, a strong statement is developed and refined over time with the assistance of your colleagues. When first beginning, rather than attempting to write a full draft all at once, you can jot down ideas as they come to you. At this stage of the process, it can be helpful to free write. Getting thoughts down onto the page is much more important at this stage than worrying about finding the perfect word or turn of phrase. Once you have enough of these thoughts written down, you can then organize and revise them into a more cohesive statement. And finally, you're not on your own while writing your statement. Reach out to people you might want feedback from and ask if they'll be able to review your statement of purpose. You can get feedback from your recommenders or from other colleagues if possible, people who are working in academia. Once you've finished a rough draft, send your statement to your reviewers for feedback. Ideally, no less than six weeks before the application deadline, as I mentioned before, to give your reviewers time to return feedback and to give you time to edit. Overall, give yourself time, don't be too harsh on your ideas during the writing process, and incorporate others' feedback it might seem good to start your statement with an eye-catching hook that will grab your reader's attention. On the surface, this advice seems well-intentioned and, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Why wouldn't you want to grab the reader's attention? Well, faculty members go through tons of statements every application cycle, which means that they are looking for some key components of your statement as quickly as possible. In other words, faculty members are not looking for introductions that state how passionate you are about the field. They're looking for introductions that display curiosity and a commitment to the field. That's why you should stay away from hooks about your passion and focus on the spark that led you to your current research interests. A spark works well because it's a subtle and sophisticated way of conveying your interests to a faculty member. For a spark, many statements will use a short anecdote to do this. The best statements will keep their anecdote to no more than three sentences in length. Those who have recently graduated might use a brief time from their experience in university, while those who have been out of school for a couple of years or more might describe a recent situation that prompted them to apply to graduate school and pursue academic research. If you are part of the latter category, say if you've spent a couple of years in a non-academic field like industry or business, you should also clearly communicate why you would like to return to school and get a graduate degree. Reasons may vary from person to person. Some applicants may realize that their current field does not allow them to sufficiently investigate the questions that they're interested in using scientific methods, while others may desire to move forward from solely application to contribute to a greater body of knowledge. Whatever your reason may be, be sure to communicate it to your reader. And with that being said, you should avoid starting your statement with overly sentimental stories, cliches, inspirational quotes, and epiphanies. You should also avoid including any childhood experiences, or more generally, any experience that you had before college. Another misconception is that you should only include research experiences from psychology labs, or experiences that perfectly match the research area that you'd like to explore in graduate school. While it's strongly recommended that all of your experiences reflect academic research, it's totally fine if your past research has investigated scientific topics that aren't in line with your current research interests. This was the case for me, and if it's the case for you, it's imperative that you include a sentence or two about how your experiences led you to pursue the questions that you are currently interested in. If the field that you choose to include is outside of psychology, be sure to avoid scientific jargon that your readers might not know, and clearly describe your research question and associated hypotheses. Likewise, it may be useful to briefly explain why you would like to pursue graduate research in psychology in particular. And like any other research experience that you mention in your statement of purpose, you should highlight the skills that you've gained that ultimately make you a suitable candidate for the program you're applying to. For more information about what to emphasize in your statement of purpose, we've provided links to some great resources in the show notes. To make sure that you have the strongest statement possible, We'll now discuss some things that you should absolutely avoid including in your statement. In 2006, an article titled, Kisses of Death in the Graduate School Application Process outlined key actions that would significantly decrease one's chances of admission, or kisses of death. For today's podcast, we'll highlight a few kisses of death as they relate to statements of purpose with additional tips on how to steer clear of them. If you'd like to learn more about the other kisses of death, we've linked the original article in the show notes. The first kiss of death we'd like to highlight is discussing your personal mental health or the mental health of those close to you. If you're interested in pursuing clinical research questions during your PhD, you might be tempted to describe your own mental health experiences or the experiences of those close to you in order to introduce the spark for your research interests. In an ideal world, Mentioning any mental health challenges you might have faced or overcome would not be met with any skepticism or disapproval. Unfortunately, in academia, the stigma tied to such personal topics remains. So it's best to avoid making any reference, good or bad, to your emotional or psychological health in your statement, even if it has led you to pursue your current research interests. Another related kiss of death is revealing large amounts of personal information especially if the topic is sensitive. Your statement of purpose should only include information that reflects your intellectual readiness and professionalism. Having said that, I do want to make a small note about discussing hardships in your statement. While there are certain aspects of your application that you may feel driven to address in your statement, such as personal obstacles that may have led to a low GPA, or any disciplinary action you might have received, you might first consider asking one of your recommenders if they could briefly mention this in their letter. That way, it's clear that other qualified members of the field have already determined that you were a strong candidate for graduate school, despite any questionable occurrences on your record that might raise a red flag otherwise. And if you must discuss these in your statement yourself, you should keep it as brief and dispassionate as possible, with the primary goal of illustrating what you learned from the situation. Many institutions might expect you to write a few lines about your career aspirations in your statement of purpose. Above all else, when doing this, you should avoid coming off as too idealistic or naive in your statement. If you want to acquire a graduate degree with plans of becoming a tenure-track professor, for example, it's best to express this in a strategic manner. This is because, quite frankly, tenure-track positions are few and far in between, and the academic job market is bleak. In order to get around this, you should frame academia as a potential career path by saying something along the lines of, graduate school will provide me with the skills and knowledge necessary for a career in academia. Alternatively, you can focus on using ambition oriented phrases like I hope to and I aim to when expressing your tenure track aspirations. For those who are not sure whether they'll pursue a career in academia, You should avoid framing the graduate degree as a form of career advancement, and certainly steer clear of conveying that graduate school is merely a checkbox in a form that you need to fill out. Finally, you should ensure that your statement of purpose showcases strong writing skills. This means your statement should be cohesive and clear, and you should avoid any spelling or grammatical errors. Such errors in your statement of purpose, even if by mistake, may cause your reader to question your ability to produce quality work. Likewise, poorly organized statements that feature run-on sentences, choppy transitions, and unnecessary big words might cause a faculty member to question whether you can communicate your science effectively, which is necessary in order to make it in graduate school and in academia at large. Whew, okay, that's all for this episode. And once again, I truly hope that this has been helpful for you. In our next and final episode of the psychology PhD for this season, we'll talk about preparing for graduate school interviews. And just as before, we will be updating the show notes to include links to these different topics as soon as each new episode launches. You can find the show notes below this episode in the description if you're watching on YouTube or in the show notes section of whatever podcast app you're listening on. To receive notifications when new episodes are released, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel or to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You're also welcome to join our email list to receive an email each time we release a new episode. And finally, if you found this content helpful, once again, please consider liking the episode on YouTube or reading and reviewing the show in your preferred podcast app. We'll talk to you next time.